So it's cold and flu season, people. I have a cold. So if I sound a little stuffy in this, I apologize. But we were supposed to do our book club today, and Kathy's daughter ended up sick, and Kathy didn't want to expose us. So it was just me and Kirsten, and it was so nice. I don't think we've done a podcast, just the two of us. Um, she's had some further diagnoses with her heart. So we talk a little bit about her heart. She's been put on like mandatory rest and, um, it sucks. So we talked about kind of the mental state of that, um, and processing that and adjusting who you are, uh, for this time in your life. Um, we talked about that for quite a long time. We also talked about George's car getting stolen and the recovery of that. Uh, we talked about how they don't teach civics in school anymore. I think it was a really good conversation. It's a conversation she and I would have had if we'd just gone to lunch. So I hope you enjoy it. I love my friends so much. I feel blessed to have them. I feel like they're really good people with solid ways of thinking and they're not perfect and they're not always right. And, but they're good people with good intentions. And I love having these conversations in hopes that um, that you enjoy them as well. Thank you for coming back every week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all your emails. Again, you can go to birdieboyproductions.com and click on the, wife, uh, the WOTP, Wife of the Party tab, and email me if you'd like. Um, I love hearing from you. So if you know anybody who would enjoy this conversation, please feel free to share it. And thanks for coming back again every week. Hope you enjoy my chat with Kirsten. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. I roller skated to your door at daylight. It almost seems like you're avoiding me. I'm okay. Really good. You look good. You feel good. I like your hair. Thank you. It's called "It Dried by Itself." <laughs> this is my "It Dried by Itself" That's look. A good haircut. It dried by itself. It is a good haircut. Romy, my hair guy, is awesome. I always say to him, "Listen, whatever you do, I don't do. I do nothing. <laughs> I get out of the shower. I don't put product in it. I just leave it alone." And he was, he always goes, "Okay." That definitely affects how I cut your hair. So thank you for telling me. I got to give you a lot of volume with a lot, a lot of effort. He's the best. How are you feeling? I'm okay. Um, short answer, I'm okay. Longer answer is I'm learning to live with invisible illness. Um, because it's there's not like a... It's not like a binary thing where it's like I was bad and now I'm better, you know, or like there's there's not like an end date or a plan of like things getting perfect again. It, um, so I'm just learning to. Yeah, it, I'm learning to live with an 
invisible illness because I ostensibly look uh, some version of the same mm-hmm. to the outside world and um, and to myself. Like, mm-hmm. and then I have to remind myself, oh, you can't go at a hundred miles an hour anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm trying to learn to slow down, and it's a process because it's like fifty years of <laughs> operating in a certain way, and then suddenly switching and it's you can't just change old habits like that yeah I can relate a little bit but not exactly the same as you I don't have a chronic problem that is somewhat life-threatening right yeah I don't have that but I definitely have the knowledge that I can't run at the same pace and expect to be healthy um it's really frustrating What's the most frustrating part? Well, I think I'm, I need to learn a lot of things that I should have learned by now or that I thought I'd learned by now, like about people pleasing. It's like, I think a lot of us are like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I, you know, I'm not a people pleaser anymore. And it's like, well, actually I am as it turns out, because, um, you know, that expression, like every yes is also a no. No, I've never heard that expression. So anytime you say yes to someone, you're saying no to something else. If you say yes um, to this party invitation, it means a no to something else that might come up that night. If you say yes to do to, to work, that means a no to your family Mm -hmm. or, um, and, um, yeah. And I'm trying to, finally address that issue because I, I am a yes person for the most part. I'm usually, if somebody asks me if I'm available or if I can do something, I say yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but to the detriment of like what I actually need, I think like, oh, well, this is just, you know, it's not going to be active. It's, it's not going to be, you know, oh, I can handle this. Oh, I have that time. Mm -hmm. And like, just because that time is available it, or, or isn't booked with something else in my schedule doesn't mean that it's available, mm-hmm. um, that I need to, um, figure out, uh, how to say no. And, and it, you know, it comes down to people pleasing because when you say no to people, it's does not please people. And it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. No. Yeah. If you're a people pleaser, that's part of what your intrinsic value is built on, right? Is being a helper, being yeah. a generous kind, giving, a uh, team player. Yes. Right. So when your intrinsic value, your intrinsic value means the value that you've built from real things, not from like faults or, or superficial things. When your intrinsic value is built on that, that would be a huge adjustment to go. Well, I can no longer feel valuable from that. I have to figure yes. out where to feel valuable from. My God, that sucks. I don't know what I would do. That sounds terrible. Yeah, it's a major adjustment. So, for example, camping with Kathy and I took a small group of Girl Scouts camping. And um, I learned a lot of things um, from that experience. It was it means super easy. And Kathy's amazing to camp with, mm-hmm. obviously. So, you know, piece of cake from that angle. But in terms of myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> my relationship with myself, it was very hard because mm-hmm. um, I was I had a heart uh, flare up issue. And, um, my cardiologist did not want me to go on the trip 
Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, it's a small group of kids. We're not pitching tents. We're, you know, it's, there's going to be a lot of sitting around mm-hmm. by the campfire. And he said, well, you do what you want to do, but he said, I can't prevent you from it, but I don't think it's a good idea. Mm. I did not relay any of this information to you or to Kathy, mm-hmm. um, because the bottom line is if I didn't go, it was, it was literally Friday that yeah. I saw the, the cardiologist. And if I didn't go, then that, that would have meant the trip was canceled. So five girls would have been disappointed. And, um, I had to really sit on that in the, the following weeks because basically I'd made a decision based on other people's happiness. Mm -hmm. And even though there are children's happiness, teenagers happiness, and that's like, that's my value, you know, that's a value to me. I have to, Richard sat me down and said like, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because what's interesting, I think when we are in that people pleasing mode, uh, there's more than just that, those two alternatives. There's more than just I'm going or I'm not going and disappointing people. There's, I could have a conversation with Kathy and Kathy could say, okay, it's no longer a Girl Scout trip. I'm just taking five girls camping. We're ripping up permission slips. We're calling all the parents and saying, this is just a regular camping trip. And we don't pay for it with troop funds. We pay for it with our own money and everybody's okay. Or maybe another mom would have jumped in and said, I'd love to go camp. Unlikely, but (laughs) maybe. Highly, highly unlikely unlikely, Friday afternoon. But it's not impossible. It's not impossible that, I mean, one of our kids' moms loves to camp, loves to camp, camped with us a long time ago when they were smaller. So she, you know, if the stars aligned, might have been able to say, I'll come up Saturday. You know what I mean? Do you know how agitated I'm getting just listening to this? I can tell. I can tell. But why? Why are you feeling agitated? Because this is my issue. I can't let things go. It's like I, I, I say that I'm responsible. I commit to something and I am committed. It's like a lifelong, when I give a commitment, even to like, come to podcast at 9am, it's like a lifelong commitment. And there I am on the 405 freaking out because I'm going to be three minutes late because of traffic. For me? Don't ever do that for me. I know, but it's not coming from you. It's coming no, I, from me. No, I understand that. And but I give you permission to not do that. Where I'm I, I know you do. I literally <laughs> was talking myself down and going, thinking about, should I try to text from the car? And by should the I way, call her? And I thought, Leanne doesn't care. Uh-uh. Leanne's fine with this, but I'm not fine with it. Because right. when I give a commitment to something, I'm, you know, I'm prompt and punctual and I'm, I'm there. And, you know, so even to go on that trip to say to Kathy, I'm not allowed to lift anything Yeah. <laughs> right now. I'm not allowed to elevate my heart rate. So it was fine. We have teenage girls who could unload my car and, and bring the stuff up. But then to sit there and watch Kathy do all of the cooking yeah, and do all of, do everything. It was, um, it was very uncomfortable yeah. for me. Um, I can't imagine. It's like making me crazy even to talk about it. Cause you're a doer. Also, it's not just that you are a people pleaser. You are a doer. You don't ever go camping and sit in a chair. <laughs> you help as much as me and Kathy. We all do the same. We pull the same weight. Uh, it would make me crazy to watch you and Kathy pull my weight. It would make me feel like worthless, uh, useless, like a mooch, like... Um, I think it might even make me feel dumb. I don't know why it would make me feel dumb 
but it would make me feel I completely understand. All of the above. Yeah. And it's not, how do you reconcile that in yourself and your soul? Because you know, it's not true. And you, you know, in your brain, that's not true. But your feelings are telling you something entirely different. Um, yeah. And I was raised by a doer. My mom is 78 years old and she is still doing. She's still driving the carpool for grandkids. Yeah. And it, she's just so hands on in everything that she does and continues to be. And so to be 50 and like, you were supposed to sit and do nothing. And like the lifting, like I volunteered for the school play this week. And again, I had to say, I can be there and be present, organize, but I can't lift anything. And they were amazing. It's not about the other people's expectations of me. Everybody was amazing. And, um, but for me to be there and not physically lifting up the chairs and pushing the stage and moving the piano and, Mm -hmm. and hauling boxes. And then to like, it was very humbling. I had, there was a box that probably weighed 10 pounds. It was not a big deal. Yeah. And I almost picked it up and I thought, no, you're not allowed to do that right Mm -hmm. now. So I had to call in a teenager. He was delighted to help. Sure. He couldn't have been more gracious, but I just felt like such a jerk, like such a load. Yeah. (laughs) Is this permanent? No, that is not permanent. Okay, good. So they're just just, figuring uh, out. That's just, I've got some inflammation right Uh now and, um, it's just to give my heart a chance to rest. Right. To get rid of the inflammation. Are you taking stuff for your inflammation? Um, uh, not, uh, nothing hardcore. No, no. I'm, what are you doing to reduce it? I'm resting. I'm learning to rest. Later. That's it? <laughs> no, like turmeric or whatever. No anti-inflammatory supplements. No. Um, yeah. Supplements, uh-huh. but not, um, drugs not drugs. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, cause the alternative was like a heavy dose of steroids. Oh um, yeah. Which no, he was hopeful that, um, we could reduce it without going down that road. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Any acupuncture, any homeopath, nothing like that. I wonder if acupuncture would help with inflammation. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I wonder if your doctor prescribes it, will your insurance pay for it? I don't know. I've been too busy (laughs) volunteering. (laughs) I thought you were going to say I've been too busy resting to figure out which would be even better. Oh, that would be great. (sighs) So even though you're supposed to be resting, you're not resting. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, Oh, busted. (laughs) Perhaps. Well, we need you here. So please do what you need to do. To not get sicker. Stop the insanity, Kirsten. Stop the insanity. <laughs> and seriously, I know Kathy and I say this all the time, but I I don't, I, I, let me say this. I would be exactly like you. I would be resting, kicking and screaming. I would be resting, deals, heels dug in, dragged to the chair. I, I, I completely understand And if I were in your position, you would say the same thing to me, which is if you need to check out of everything we do together, check out. It's okay. You're welcome back in whenever you're ready. You know that if you need to not podcast, if you need to not do Girl Scouts, we got your back. 
We can do it. I know. So this is the problem, though, is that it, it, there are so many things that I just think, well, I'm not lifting anything. Yeah, like if I'm podcasting, I'm sitting here. Yeah. We're having a conversation. It's pleasant. Uh-huh. I'm hanging out with my friend. Uh-huh. So I talk everything away like that where mm-hmm. I'm like, well, but what is it asking of me? But then I look at a day like today and I go, oh, from 6 a.m. today, I literally at, until I bring the kids home at three or four at 430 and then, well, and then make dinner, you know, get dinner prepared, whatever there. I literally do not have a window of more than 15 minutes. And usually in that 15 minutes, I will be driving. Oh. Um, so there's not really a win. Like I'm I'm jam packed with appointments today. And I talked my way into that because I'm sitting in most of them. So they're not I'm not lifting anything. But at the same time, is that resting? Is it resting to be right. jam packed no, that much? It's um, not resting because yeah. I know how your brain works. It works like mine. You are here, present, focused, but you're also actually going. So when I get in the car, I A B C D. <laughs> yeah. And then once you get there, you're already thinking about, and I think that affects your heart rate. Yeah. And your respiratory. It affects everything to be on that train. Even it's, it's hard to stop the train and go. I am actually just sitting on a couch and I actually don't need to worry about what happens when I get in the car. But my brain works like that too. Maybe it's the nature of a mom is that you're never just working on one thing ever. You're working on so many things at one time that to just say, no, 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 you have COVID and now you're going to be in a room by yourself for seven days is, is the only time in my entire adult (laughs) life I can remember unplugging. And I didn't think about my dogs. I didn't think about my kids. All I thought about was, what am I going to watch on TV? I didn't worry about what I had to get done. Of course, it was right after Christmas for me. So I didn't have that clean the house, but, you know, put up my Christmas tree for the next year, put away my Christmas tree. But I just kind of let it go. And I really think that's the only time in recent memory that I really just was where I was because I had no choice. Um, So... I don't know. It's the nature of our brain, I think, to be in two or three different places at one time. But it does affect your heart rate and your respiratory system and your stress level and your and your inflammation and yeah. your inflammation. That's yeah. right. But, you know, the flip side of this is, you know, I had this conversation with my doctor. When my doctor was like, I don't want to put you on any hormone therapy because um, this your body's doing what it naturally sh- should do. And, and she, the, the type of hormone therapy my doctor was talking about was, is a synthetic type of hormone therapy that is, I don't think is good for your body because it's synthetic. It's like drinking aspartame. <laughs> synthetic sugar is better for you, even though it's not good for you, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, but I asked her, what's worse for me dealing with my hormones or dealing with being overweight? Because there's so many negative effects to being overweight. So uh, I don't know how you make that decision so emphatically. Shouldn't you balance the two? What's more important for this person's body and needs? Is it to balance her hormones to keep her weight down or is it to screw her hormones and let her be fat? And then that affect her heart, her cholesterol, her uh, physical, overall physical fitness and health, right? I don't think that's right. Uh, Now, I didn't take her hormone therapy I am on some biodiverse that is not chemical based, is not synthetic based hormonal stuff 
that is helping me lose weight as a side effect because my hormones were so out of balance. But I, that conversation happened with the person, with the um, doctor that I spoke with about being on a biodiverse type of hormone was their belief system was in the line with mine. It's not healthy to be fat. There's so many other health implications that come with being 20, 30 pounds overweight that the, yes, you balance your hormones, not only because your hormones are out of balance, but so that your body can regulate its metabolism better so that you're not walking around now with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, all this stuff, diabetes or whatever. Not that I'm, I'm eating in a way that would make me be diabetic, but once you get overweight, I think your body just has a harder time processing everything not a medical professional. I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's what I came away from. My first visit with my doctor was a no, and it didn't make sense to me. But I wonder if it's similar to you in your brain in that sitting alone by yourself at home all day long is not good for your soul. And, or, you know, you need to be like what we're doing now is two friends talking. We would be talking about the same stuff basically if we went to lunch. We just happen to be doing it on a microphone. You being part of Girl Scouts where you sit in a chair and have a discussion with all these young girls that you've been a part of their lives for years and years now does something to your mental health. Yeah, it's absolutely. Positive, but know? I think I think that's exactly what you're talking about is that there's gray area in everything. And it would be so much easier if there was like everybody wants a magic pill for everything. Totally. <clears throat> A magic pill. Yes, it would be great. It would be great. It would be great if there was a binary of like you have this illness and then you do this thing and then it's over. All better. But like we're seeing with, you know, like my heart, like long COVID, like so many things that people deal with, there's no binary. It's not like bad and then better. Mm -hmm. There's like, you know, better, but better is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And, um, and likewise with your, you know, the hormone therapy, it's not like do or don't it's find something that works for you to address because it's, yeah, you're right. Like it's the same thing with me. I'm not allowed to exercise. So you can imagine that like I've been gaining weight. I've gained weight since having a heart attack right. instead of, you and know, how is that helpful? It's, it's yeah, it's and not you, helpful, but it, yeah, exactly. But you have no choice. Yeah. I mean, the choice could be that I just eat iceberg lettuce <laughs> and, um, but that's just not going to happen. Um, no. And so. then my, my point is your mental health has to be considered yeah. in being asked to be resting. And I mean, in resting, you sort of are isolating because you're not going to lunch with your friends and you're not, you know what I mean? If, if you're the standard you're saying is you're, you're, Stacking your day back to back with appointments. Yes, they're all sitting or they're all driving or all slow. The alternative is what? You sit in your house by yourself all day? I mean, I know that's okay, but long term, that's not okay. You're not an antisocial person who doesn't need other adults that, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? So then I feel like you have to weigh your mental health a little bit. And I'm saying this so you can give yourself a little bit of a break in being hard on yourself for wanting to do something like go camping. Maybe it, I'm sure it was mostly the responsibility for the other people. But part of that, I wonder if a little piece of that is you not wanting to miss out or not wanting to 
uh, be a part of. Yeah. And honestly, personally, it was aside from just seeing the girls having a great time sitting in nature mm-hmm. <laughs> has got to be great for uh, the heart. And, 100%. you know, watching all the animals we had. The, the peacocks that walk through mm-hmm. the campsite. And we had one peacock in particular who was seemed to be very <laughs> attached to us and um, spent a lot of time at our campsite, which I just, I mean, I loved it so much. I know. We had all of these, I, I kept hearing knocking and I thought it was one of the girls and um, it was a woodpecker who was trying to take down our teepee. <laughs> and I just loved, I mean, it just delighted us so much. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, all the birds like, I, you know, that's how old I am. I am bird watching age, um, but I just loved all of the bird watching and then the, the hearing the owl in the middle of the night and the coyotes uh-huh. in the middle of the night. It was just, um, yeah, that definitely filled me up. It's good for your heart. Yeah. I mean, it may not good for your mechanical heart, but it's good for your emotional heart to do some of those things that I think you give yourself a break a little bit with some of that. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm so similar to you in that I am like, the rule is, the yeah. rule is rest. <laughs> so the minute I get off rest, I'm stressed because I've broken the rule. You know, there's some people who are rule followers and there's some people who are rule bender breakers. My husband is a bender breaker. He wouldn't, sometimes he's completely down the line with the rule. And then when he doesn't want to do the rule, he doesn't think <laughs> twice about it. I am not that way. I am always the rule. And I think life is harder for us somehow because of exactly what I'm just talking about of me going, I, 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 I don't know. I don't understand rest. You know, I, I worked out with my trainer on zoom while I was in quarantine for COVID because I don't miss a day working out. And you can tell by my body, I'm clearly not like physical, like, physical beauty focus. Oh, stop. No, but you know what I mean? It was about, I don't want to miss a session because I enjoy it. And I'm sitting in this room doing nothing and I feel good enough to do it instead of just saying, hold on, maybe. And I'm connecting with people on zoom. So the, for the seven days I was in quarantine, I work, I missed one day of working out. And so I don't think that was a good idea. Well, I don't either in hindsight, (laughs) but my point is that's the rule for me. The rule is I work out three days a week. Yeah, I get it. And I set that rule for myself and I'm going to do it come hell or high water or COVID, you know? Yes. And I need to do that. I don't need to do that. I just could have just said, you know what? Until I am negative and until I feel better, I'm going to take it all. And I just couldn't do, I could not do it. Because the anxiety of not following that rule that I've set up for myself is too much. And so the rigidity of that is not healthy for me anyway. I don't think that's healthy. So maybe, maybe you can find a new way to frame this time of life. So we've spent like you, I'm 52. I'm older than you, but, um, I've spent my whole life framing things a certain way. And, you know, I was with some people this weekend who were um, older. They were uh, in their 70s and really signing up for life in their 50s and then getting to life in their 50s and going, hold on, I can't actually do this and now I have to quit. And it happened over and over again. And I kept going, uh, that must be really hard. But I'm in the same position 
as they are. So uh, to see it in front of me going, they're not, they're not really seeing, being honest with what they're capable of. And they're trying to do more than they're capable of and failing. And it's, it is this like self-esteem cycle of like set up, fail, set up, fail, set up, fail. And I don't, I'm not interested in doing that, but I already do it. Do you know what I mean? So, but to see it from the outside and then go, turn it inward and apply it to yourself, to me, is one of the one of the best ways that I learn is to watch it, to see something that I identify in myself and go, I don't like that, so I'm going to change it. I just saw it this weekend, and I thought I need to reframe the way that I look at my 50s, 60s, 70s, early 70s because I can't, I can't attack life like I did in my 20s, 30s, 40s. It's not sustainable. But my self-esteem is tied with that unsustainability, right? Yes, 100%. And so you have to then adjust how you frame your self-esteem. It's a really core issue that you're faced with and that I think everybody that hits a certain age or has any kind of health issue or concern is faced with is that, readjusting of how you, how you value, how you, um, how you measure value in yourself. Yeah. Yes. Recalibrating that. Um, yeah. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you hate it? I hate it. I hate, I hate it. it. I hate it so much. Yeah. I hate it so much. I still want to calibrate my little tummy as a 20-year-old tummy. And I look at it and go, oh, lady, <laughs> you poor thing. You're just never going to be there. You could be bone skinny and that big belly and still be hanging on down. Because there's nothing. It's, it's what you look like at this age if you haven't had some alterations. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we recalibrate, Kirsten? How do we do it? I don't know. I think we continue having conversations because it's very helpful to me to just hear you say like, to just have somebody to relate to, to go, oh, okay. Yeah. So what advice would I give Leanne in uh-huh. this situation? Tell me what <laughs> advice would you give me in this situation? Um, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> but to find, I think it's easier though to, it's like, it's easier to organize someone else's closet. Completely. You know? <laughs> totally. As long as the organizing of someone else's closet you can turn it back to you and apply. Yeah. Because you can't just organize your own closet sometimes. I can't. But it's, it is helpful to me, like the talking down that I did on the 405 to go, okay, what, you know, is Leanne going to be upset? No. No, she's not. This is about you. Calm down. <laughs> like, 100%. calm down. Yeah. And I do that to myself sometimes when I think like, what would I say to a friend in this situation mm-hmm. if it had been Kathy who couldn't lift anything all weekend? Uh-huh. I mean, I, I wouldn't have cared at all. Like yeah, I would totally. totally. not at all. I wouldn't have thought a single thing about her and I would have just done, you know, just kept going the way that I'm going. And um, hold on, though. More than that, you would have done what needed to be done. And you would have felt the value of caring for a friend. So when we do that for you, you give us the gift of being valued as a friend. Yeah. Right? That's love. 
And that's real friendship. That's what we do for each other. So, and allowing someone to care for you, you're actually giving to that. It's person. hard. It's hard to take to be. I completely understand. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I'm <laughs> perfect. I, lo- I love when people give to me. It's the hardest thing ever. But you know, what you just said is really important for you. How would you feel if it were reversed? So think of the other piece of the gift that you give by allowing people to care for you. You know, I think of that every time someone comes over and my house is a mess. Um, I think, oh, I am giving them the gift of being easier on themselves. Uh-huh. They can walk in here and see the dust. Yeah, right. <laughs> the dog hair, uh-huh. the complete disarray, the piles of mail and papers and all this shit. Um, and I'm giving them the gift of going, of either feeling better about themselves and their house and going, oh, well, at least I don't have this dusty (laughs) place (gasps) or of just seeing that real people like make a mess like they do. And there's another piece of that. Our friend Kathy Fromkin did this the other day. I invited myself to her house because Isla had a birthday party that was like five minutes from her house. And so I said, can I just come over and hang out? For the three hours she's at this party instead of driving all the way back to my house. And she was obviously, it was like, absolutely. We'll have dinner. We'll get some tacos and we'll, so I walk in the door and she goes, you know, you're a real friend when your friend calls last minute and says, come over. And my kitchen looks like this. (laughs) She had her refrigerator broke and they had bought another refrigerator from somewhere else. And it was sitting in the middle of their kitchen and her kitchen was a mess. And she was like, that's how, you know, you're really friends is that I have no hesitation saying, come on over, you know? So you walk in the door knowing you are really in my inner circle because my house looks like shit. And I'm saying, come over anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's the truth. Um, yeah, it's the truth. I think that's a problem that I have in general is, um, being a perfectionist and not wanting to, I just, I I feel like I owe it to people to be a, the best version of myself. And like my house should be the best version of itself. And everything is a reflection on me and, you know, just all of the, the polishing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm the same. I feel exactly the same. Yeah. And it's, it's exhausting. And it's in a lot of ways, it's not fair to other people because I really respect and appreciate when people let me see them at their worst or not necessarily even worst, but just at their, at their average, yeah. like at their average and, um, at their real. Yeah, yeah. It's real to walk in someone's house and have a pile of school books on, you know, the kitchen Island and pots and pans, maybe still in the dishes in the sink and, you know, the throw blankets on the floor instead of folded neatly on the couch. That's my house. Never walking in my house where there's not just shit everywhere. And, you know, there's parts of my house that look great, but we never go in there. <laughs> you know, the, the formal living room, no one ever goes in there. So we don't live in that room. It is, it is a, life is a community and a sharing, right? It, that's really important to share who you really are. Obviously, don't leave your dirty underwear in the kitchen, but <laughs> that happens at my house from time to time. Not mine. That actually happens in my house from time to time because our laundry room, we don't have a laundry room. It's like a laundry closet Uh that is in the kitchen. Uh So sometimes (laughs) the kids dump their their clothes. If there's something already in the washing machine, they'll just dump their clothes in front of it. And I'm like, 
That's gr- this is really great. <laughs> we have underwear on the floor in the kitchen. How nice. That's really funny. Well, I'm sorry you're having to go through all this shit. It really stinks. Everybody goes through shit, though. Like it's that I love that saying of like, if you put all your problems, if everybody put all their problems into a pile, you choose yours. I've never heard yours back. That's a Um, great, great saying. I think of that when I see somebody who seems like they have a perfect life. And I try to think about like, okay, but would I be comfortable doing ABC, yeah, whatever they have on their plate. And I think, I don't know. <laughs> I know. It's true. Grass is not always greener on the other side. Is You know, we were talking about, Sandy and I were talking about um, a couple that we know where the guy had a moment of almost being unfaithful, changed his mind and was behaved appropriately, but he had the moment and the wife knew about the moment. And now he still scratches his head why she doesn't trust him. And I'm like, well, she must trust him. It was a long time ago and she hasn't left. So somehow this is working for them. It may not work for me or for you or for whoever, but they're still together and they're still making it happen. So they may not be their most optimally happy or healthy, but they are deciding they're choosing every day to stay together. So I I maybe wouldn't function that way in that relationship, but who am I to say that theirs is broken per se? It's not broken for them. We're all broken in our own little ways. And you know, the parts and pieces from the other people in your life help fill those kind of broken parts. And that's why you need a community because one person's not ever going to fill that one broken, all your broken parts, maybe one or two. And you keep moving on, collecting more people to help you. Um, Well, if you ever need help, you know, I will do anything in the world for you all the time, all day, any day, all the time. So if you ever need anything and if you ever, (laughs) if you ever don't. What are the odds of me asking for anything? Oh, slim to none. (laughs) But I can still say it. No, I appreciate it. You, I know, I know that you would and you do. I know, you know, and I know that you know that I know that you know, (laughs) we all know, but I mean, I'm saying it it, to you out loud for sure. If you ever need anything, just let me know. And also, um, shit, I forgot the also (laughs) I had an also, and then it left. I hate, I hate this brain. Sometimes it just loses thoughts in a split second. Um, Anyway, I have no idea what I was going to say, but how long are you on this kind of like rest until well, the inflammation goes down? How yeah. do they tell if the inflammation is unclear down? and unclear? <laughs> it's unclear. So, you know, they would know for sure by doing a heart MRI, but the insurance is probably not going to okay that for somebody who seems to be on the mend. And I seem to be on the mend. I feel better than I was than I was feeling. And the, you know, the problem is that heart pain, um, is, is just part of this heart condition anyway. So the fact that I was having a lot of heart pain yesterday, chest Ugh. pain, it's like, okay, but that's just part of the deal. It doesn't necessarily mean that the inflammation is worse or anything. So it's just, yeah, just like learning to live with things. Um, yeah. 
I found it a lot easier. You know, it's easier when you have like when you're congested Uh and people can hear, oh, she is sick right now. And I'm that's a big adaptation of the invisible illness Uh part of like having I've heard people talk about this um, for my whole life about having an invisible illness and how isolating and just what a a weird situation that is because people don't know that you're sick. And so you have to like your, you have your boundary setting has to be very strong and you have to remind people, I can't do that. Uh Um, and so that is, that's very new to me. I, my illnesses in the past were, you know, I knee surgery. Yeah. (laughs) there's a big ice pack on here. There's a brace, there's a whatever. And it's like an indication, like a big sign. Oh, this is wrong. She can't go running right now. Right. And, um, so it's, you know, having something internal that it's like, I essentially look the same, a little chubbier, but, um, you know, otherwise I'm, I basically just look like a healthy person. And so it's hard for even me to remember sometimes. Mm Um, I just, you know, get up and it's like, boom, right. We got shit to do today. Let's do it. Oh, hold on. (laughs) Right. Maybe we should make you like a Laverne, Laverne DeFazio (laughs) patch that you wear on every piece of clothing. That's like a heart with a, with a a line through it. Like my heart notes. So then when you walk into a store, they go, Oh, she has heart trouble. I mean, wouldn't that be funny? No, it wouldn't be funny at all. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, I almost do need to, like, I have sticky notes um, in my office, like when I'm writing to remind me of different things. And um, Ada Calhoun, the author, um, we did a zoo. She, she came to our class and did a zoom and she, I wrote down a quote that she said, she said, who am I saving my reputation for? And so this was about memoir writing uh-huh. who, and I thought, oh my God, cause I am, I'm very, you know, that I'm, I tend to be quite private. And so yeah. the fact that I'm writing a memoir is very like, it's very not private. And so I look at that every day. Who am I saving my, or, or what am I saving my reputation for? She's uh-huh. like, I'm never going to run for president. Who, yeah, right. who cares? Like put it all out there. Yeah. And so that is a reminder to me, but I should also have a reminder. You have a heart condition. <laughs> Oh, that's, right. that's right. That's right. Slow it down, lady. Yeah. <laughs> Slow it down. That's so funny. That invisible illness is um that is a really great term. I felt an invisible illness can make you also feel invisible, right? Like yes. my symptoms with my gut health going back to the doctor multiple times and the doctor going, mm because they can't quote, find anything wrong with me, yet I have evidence of something being wrong with me is very frustrating. And then the people in my life, my husband included, I felt was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until I finally got someone to say, oh yeah, look at your blood work and all this stuff that's going on. Oh yeah, you totally have long COVID. And then even then I felt like I needed to walk around with a piece of paper going, see, see, doctor said, you know, it wasn't enough that I said, and that a doctor told me and I said, and, and, you know, I didn't feel like it was enough to legitimize me saying, I actually need to go to bed now to the people in my life. And that's unfortunate. And that's our culture. 
it's our culture, but it's also it's like a big lesson. It is a wake up call for us that of boundaries uh-huh. of like we have to self advocate, and that's a problem. Like we're we are moms, we're doers, we're used to advocating for our families uh-huh. and advocating for our kids, but not for ourselves. Um, I think that is the real lesson. Like for me, having a heart attack, it was like, oh, maybe this is a sign to slow down. Right. Slowed down for a little bit as I recovered. And then it was like, boom. Yeah. Back <laughs> Let's on hit it. it hard. Yeah. And um, that was not, you know, that was not a good takeaway. So then this inflammation and it's like, oh, okay. You are going to keep relearning the lessons that you cannot integrate. Um, yeah. And yeah. And I don't want to have another no. outburst of having to learn this. I want to, I want to try to learn it as a healthy person. Right. It's super um, hard to do. Yeah. It's super hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Invisible illness. That's crazy. Great term. But I mean, really so many people like what I am experiencing with this invisible illness is so minor compared to sure. with so many other people. I mean, there are, there are so many different types of invisible illness. Mm-hmm. Like some people have, um, you know, Crohn's disease, MS, or MS, yeah. or yeah, any number of their bipolar. Yes, you exactly. Know. Mental illness. It's yeah. Invil- invisible. It's a big totally. one. Yeah. Totally invisible. We just watched, um, Selena Gomez's documentary. Have you seen it? I haven't. Me and my mind. I think it's called my mind and me, something like that. It was very, I thought it was very brave of her to put herself out there. And it made me super sad. She's a uh, such a talented person. And to watch her struggle with mental illness was hard. And it, it was hard to watch. I felt really sad and really bad for her that she has so many wonderful things in her life. And my takeaway from that documentary was that um, she feels a bit empty still. And, and, I think in the documentary, she was joyful, maybe 10% of the hour and a half of the movie. The rest of it was just kind of sad and a little tortured. And and that's her bipolar disorder. You know, it's clear that she's walking around with something I don't have. I can't relate to that um, in a real personal way. Uh, but to see it and to really be able to not judge her and to just process her, um, was very helpful. And I thought how brave of her to put that out there for other people who are bipolar, who may have a family member that doesn't understand and can watch and say, look, she has everything and still struggles just like me. And I'm just trying to hold a job at target or whatever, you know? Um, I don't know that invisible illness is hard. And I even feel like she has suffered negative consequences because of it. Um, and I don't know why I feel that way. I don't have any evidence or like, Oh, well, she's no longer doing this or that. Those may be her choices, but I feel like she has some negative consequences from that invisible illness. It's so hard to manage a lot of mental illness stuff and even regular illness, like what you're doing. That's hard to manage. I mean, could you imagine like being, Someone who had to go to a nine to five job every day to to have your family survive and have the doctor say you actually can't do that for a while. That would be so scary and possibly devastating for your family. It's it's really scary. 
um, and to have your boss go, mm, look fine to me. Yeah. I yeah. don't know why you can't show up to work on time. Uh, yeah. or I don't know why you can't work a whole day. Yeah. That would be so frustrating and upsetting. Um, and, you know, I don't know. Have we become a society that cries wolf too much? And so when someone really has something that people are like, yeah, right. Sure, you got it. I wonder. So I think about my grandfather's era. And if someone was sick, they were sick. You know what I mean? Nobody ever called in sick. You had to be for real sick. And then everybody was like, oh, he's sick. And they would kind of leave him alone. But I don't feel like we do that anymore. Everybody calls in sick all the time for no reason. <laughs> I'm going to Disney, so I'm going to call in sick. Not you, but I mean the general population, the culture of people. I don't know. What do you think about that? Hmm. I guess so. But also, I mean, I, I wish people would call in sick more legitimately like not when they are really sick yeah Yeah. not spread the germs (laughs) well yeah that's true that's true our school uh, Isla's high school at the beginning of the school year their uh, principal in charge of academics or vice principal is the funniest I think she should have maybe been a stand-up she's so dryly funny she stood in front of the whole school and went listen if your kid is sick even if they don't have COVID let them lay on the couch and watch the price is right like a decent human being. <laughs> She's like, we don't want them here. Yeah. We don't want them here with a super bad runny nose. We don't want them here with a sinus infection. Chicken soup, price is right. See you in a few days. <laughs> I was like, thank you for saying that out loud. Because when Isla came up with a sinus infection, I was like, you're not going. You don't, you don't have a fever. You don't have a doctor's note, but you're sick and you're not going. So there you go. See, that is the that's the blessing of private school, because in public school, they are funded by butts in chair. I know. And so that's why there was the bullshit attendance awards for so many years. I hope they're still not doing those. But it was like every year in the elementary school, a bunch of us parents would just stand back and go, oh, that's the send your kid to school sick award. Yeah, because nobody doesn't. Get sick. Doesn't get sick for, or like the, you know, the award for like perfect attendance from kindergarten through fifth grade. It was like, okay, there is not a chance in hell that all these immune systems were so strong (laughs) that they did not go to school sick. So it's like, oh, well, thank you for getting my kid sick or thank you for getting the teacher sick or thank you for, you know, Mm -hmm. for spreading that. (laughs) Suckers. Suckers. (laughs) So. Let's talk about my exciting week. We're going to pivot. Yes. How about please that? Please do. You ready? Yes. <laughs> so, my sister in law borrowed George's car, right? She has two small kids. She has a, a nanny, and she needed the nanny and, with one kid and her with another kid to be in two places at the same time. So, she borrowed a car so that she could send the nanny one way and she could go the other way. No problem. Of course, I'm happy to have you borrow George's car. It's sitting in the driveway. She's at college. So she picks up the car and um, she kept it a lot longer than I expected, which was totally fine. But um, it had been gone for a little bit. And we went out of town this weekend. She was with us. We came back from being out of town on Sunday And Monday morning, I get a call that the car has been stolen. 
So my sister-in-law didn't notice, first of all, that it was stolen for a full day after she got home because she wasn't using it, you know? And I called her and said, do you have the keys? And she said, looking for them now. And I went, okay. So you left the keys in the car. And she went, not sure, but I definitely can't find them. And I went, Cotty, you left the keys in the car. So she left the keys in the car, in a car that was unlocked, parked on the street in my neighborhood. And the car was gone. So I was like, what the heck? Who leaves their keys in a car? I've already said this to her. So who leaves your keys in the car? We're in Los Angeles. We're not in Tampa. I mean, Tampa's probably got a lot of crime too like that. But who leaves their keys in their car parked on the street? Do you? Uh, absolutely okay. not. No, I, I was just going to say that even without the keys left in the car, there has been a ton of car theft in our area. I know a, a lot, ton. a ton car theft, car dismemberment. Yes. Dismemberment. You know? The catalytic converters. Yes. The, <laughs> someone, uh, Eric got his rear view mirror stolen. <laughs> Who steals a rear view mirror off a car? I was like, really? So, okay. So Monday I go, okay. Okay, have you called the police? Oh, do you think I should? Well, yeah, the car's been stolen. Yeah, we should maybe call the cops. My car's been fucking stolen, yes. So I call the police, and the police says, you know, you're going to have to file this report in person, so you're going to have to go down to the police department. Um, So I did. Let me just say this. For all the defund the police people out here, I spent 40 minutes on hold for the non-emergency police number, 40 minutes on hold for her to tell me to go to the police station, <laughs> 40 minutes on hold. If that's what defunding the police, if that message is what is discouraging police officers from applying for people who want to be a police officer for applying for the job, if defunding the police department means we are losing employees for that, I'm sorry, that's really wrong. I should not spend 40 minutes on a non-emergency call on hold. So I go to the police department, fill out my report, and the lovely lady who helped me at the police department hands me my paperwork back, and she goes, by the way, I'm a big fan. And I went, of me? And she said, yes, I love your podcast, but I love your husband, obviously, but I'm a really big fan. I hope you get your car back. And I was like, that was really cool. Oh, wow. And then (laughs) I get in my car, and I go, hold on this is a Ford. Uh, I have an app on my navigator. I bet there's an app on this Ford. Let me see if I can download the app and see if I can find the car. Find the car. I find the car. I find the car on the app, right? I see the car and I go, oh my God, I got the car. So I drive back to the police department. I go, found the car. I found the car. The police officer looks at me and she goes, look at me. Look at me. Do not go get that car. I know who you are and you probably have a baseball bat in your trunk. Do not go get that car. And I went, I do have a baseball bat in my truck. <laughs> she said, I know. This is what you're going to do. Um, well, you're going to get the car today, but don't go by yourself and get this car. It was so funny, that moment with her, because I felt like she didn't know who I was because I did indeed have a baseball bat in the back of my car and was planning on just telling them, hey, I found the car. Fill out your paperwork. I'm going to go get it, you know? So she said, here's what you do. Call 911. Go to the car, but don't get out of your car. 
And when you see the car is there, call 911 and tell them I have found my car. And then they'll send a squad car. They'll process the car. And if you have the second set of keys and your driver's license, they'll give you the car back. Guess how long I was on hold for 911? For 911, the emergency phone number 911, I sat on hold for seven minutes. I was so upset by that because I thought if my friend Kirsten had had a heart attack and was laying in the floor and I'm trying to get an ambulance, I'm waiting for seven minutes to even tell anybody what's wrong. So more than my 40 minutes on hold for the non-emergency, the seven minutes I was on hold for 911 was so upsetting. That's depressing. It's so upsetting that you go, how do we, how do we, how do we allow that? How, what is, what is the process in our civic duty to say that cannot be happening? And this was at four o'clock on a Monday. This wasn't like Saturday night when people have car accidents and are shooting people in the bad parts of town. And this was four o'clock on a Monday. Not even, I think it may have been even a little earlier. Uh, maybe two or three because I got, uh, yeah, it had to be about two or three because I finally recovered the car at 430. So how is that possible? How do we change that? I don't know. I don't either. What What is the problem that our 911, uh, what I don't, I really am as, asking that question genuinely. Why is that happening? There's no way we had so many emergencies at 2.30 p.m. on a Monday. You know, how do we fix that? Who do we need to vote for? Uh, what funding do we need to approve? You know, the defund the police, did that affect this? How do we find that out? I think the other thing that's affecting things is is staying home from work. Like, if you know, COVID, RSV, the flu, all of the things that you now stay home from work. So, you know, if you don't have people, that's what affected all of the, the flights. This oh, I summer. see what you mean. So if you don't have a crew to work a flight, if you don't have a crew to work the, the emergency line, then you just don't have a crew. Yeah. Wow. Well, it was really, uh, I, anyway, I went and found the car 911, I mean, the police officers came, they processed her car, they gave me the key. The car is fine. It looks like that you turned your purse upside down in it and shook it out. I mean, there's just shit everywhere. Whoever stole the car clearly went through the neighborhood and cleared out everyone's mailboxes because I have the junk mail from, from Morella Avenue, which is not even close to my street, but in my neighborhood. From several different streets in my neighborhood, all kinds of junk mail. So they clearly got people's mail of importance and then left the junk mail in the car. I have two swipe cards for a casino. That's one of my neighbors is like a 60 something year old woman. I'm like, for sure she didn't steal the car, but they got her swipe cards. So, um, and there were random things in the car, like two pillows from a couch, um, and a baby blanket that was not my sister-in-law's. And I was like, what were these people doing in this car? Um, I don't know when they stole it, but they dropped it off on Saturday night. So it had sat there from Saturday night until I got it on Monday afternoon. They probably also stole a bunch of packages because that's sure. happening a lot in the neighborhood too. 
and opened them and it was like, ah, a baby blanket. <laughs> Who needs this? <laughs> Two pillows for a couch. Fuck that. You know, the other day I got a package stolen or I was checking up on a package and it was like, yay, it's been delivered. And I was like, oh, no. OK, I did not get it. It was for hair color to co- <laughs> cover my gray. I t- and you were like, I do my own roots. And I was like, oh, so here I am. That's why I'm uh, the gray roots right now. But the reverse of that is, ha ha, you got no, exactly, color. sucker. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do with this? You don't even have the mix like to process it together. <laughs> it, it, it's completely useless to somebody. And uh, the waste drives me crazy. Yeah, the waste. The waste, waste that it's like, OK, Great. So they just looked at that, threw it right in the trash or threw it in your car. Maybe you have hair color. Maybe my hair color is in George's car. Yeah, right. It could be in George's car. I wouldn't be surprised. I'll let you know. I haven't completely gone through it yet. It was nine so NGB is the right, color. Okay. So good to know. I'll let you know if I find it. It could be there. You never know. There's a lot of shit in there. Um, I, my takeaway from the whole experience. Every police officer I dealt with was patient. They were kind. They were helpful. I realize I'm saying this as a middle-aged white woman, and I'm sure that people of other ethnicities have different experiences. I can only speak to mine. And for me, they were kind and helpful. The detective called me back last night to follow up and get more information. Again, could not have been more patient, more kind, more helpful, more caring. I thank them all profusely for all that they do to keep us safe. But I was so disheartened because not only did it was on hold for 40 minutes, once I got the person and she took my report, she said in the past, you could have called the station and put this report in, but no one answers the phone there anymore. And, and I was like, how is that possible? And she said, they just don't have the staff to answer the phone. And I thought, how can you not even get somebody to answer the damn phone? at your local police department. And then after that, when I was on hold for 911, I was like, this is actually a disaster. We are a major metropolitan area. There is no reason, like if my dad calls 911 in Bowden, Georgia, it it takes 20 minutes to get an ambulance there. You know what you're dealing with. That should not be, the fire department's right around this corner. You know, I I could walk there in, in less than seven minutes and get help. It's so, it made me so angry that that, this is so broken and I don't know how to fix it. Who do I call to ask? Do you know? <laughs> I have no idea. Non-emergency number. <laughs> Just joking. I don't think that's it. <laughs> but who do I call to ask? I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how to start as a citizen to help to fix it. And, and I'm sure if I tried to help to fix it, I'd be considered a bad person for helping the police, which is inaccurate. Every person of every race, ethnicity, age, color needs to have access to emergency services, period. And that goes through the police department in some capacity, right? Or the call center, since it goes out to uh, ambulance fire. Who runs that? How do you find this out? Google? (laughs) I don't know. That should be a class in high school, uh, that kind of civics class. of Totally. They don't teach civics in high school anymore. Do they? I don't think so. No, which is ridiculous. I got so excited when Georgia could vote. She thought I was a lunatic. And I was like, you're 18. You can vote. Like in November, you can vote. And she was like, okay. I was like, no, no, no. Let's make sure you got your voter registration. And I started getting stuff in the mail from her. And I was explaining her how to do it. And 
I don't even think she voted. I drove her nuts about it. I was like, did you get your ballot? I, I sent you your ballot by mail. You got to make sure you fill it out by this date. You got to use a black pen. You do this. It's got to be postmarked by this date. And she thought I was insane, like a lunatic. And But I'm not, am I? No, not at all. It, yeah. It, I think it's really hard in these small, like it's sexy to vote for a presidential election, you know, that it's like, oh, I voted for the winning candidate or boo, I voted for the, it. but I think it's it's hard for them to see like what your local school board <laughs> representative does. They don't really have a sense of that. And that's why a civics class would be really great to. Yeah. Yeah. It would be really great. Should we teach teach civics to our Girl Scouts? <laughs> Why are you looking like that? Should we? I don't know. The problem is. Should I put one more thing on your plate? Yeah. <laughs> you are welcome to come up with the civics curriculum, Leanne. Go I'll for it. I'll do that. Um, well, but the other thing is that we always deal with with Girl Scouts is that they are so overstressed with their, they have such high academic loads. Mm. Um, there's so much asked of them these days that they don't really want to come to Girl Scouts to do something that they deem as academic. Well, you know? I have a rebuttal to that. Okay. Here's my rebuttal. So we started this financial badge with the older girls, which is on paper math. Yeah, but you guys came up with a great curriculum that is So I do that with yeah. civics, too. Okay, go for it. With civics, I go, okay, who knows what civics means? I bet they don't. I bet they don't even know what the word means. What is a civic duty? What does that mean? Okay, on top of all the other things <laughs> that you have to do, that you have going on in your life, now you are creating the civics curriculum. I can do it. I'm refusing to be 50. I am trying to, to maintain my 20 to 40-year-old pace. And you're right. I, as you're your right. friend, am trying to remind you to put on the brakes. <laughs> you're right. From time to time. I'm still going to do it. <laughs> you know I'll do it before they graduate high school. I mean, it means a lot to me, your civic yeah. duty. And, and being part of a community and having a voice, you know? Well, here's the thing. You know, Girl Scouts is all big about talk to an expert. What if we find some experts who can come and talk See, to them See, look about, at you. Look at you. See? But who are these experts? I don't know. We'll figure that one okay. out. Sarah Palin? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, she is a woman. I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know. I'm sure we can find someone in our realm that is, I mean, I, I don't necessarily would, wouldn't want them to talk to a politician necessarily, but who would be someone, a judge? Would a judge be able to talk about civic duty? I know a judge. I know a federal judge. He's a dad at school. I wonder if he'd be willing to talk about civics and civic duty. Would he be the person? Yeah, I mean, that would be great. Who can we talk about about this 911 debacle? Who? <laughs> I don't know. See, that's bad that we don't know, don't you think? I don't think so. It's not bad we don't know. But I, I want to know. Now I feel like I have, now that I've had this experience, that I have to say something about it. Do you know what I mean? Hmm, that's interesting. I have a friend who is a 911 operator back home oh yeah and oh i know a mom that's a dispatch now oh, that yeah. i think about it that's a colfax mom oh. she was a police officer and she was in dispatch i would is that what that is dispatch that, hey. i mean that's definitely somebody to ask though. i'll definitely ask her she spoke to the girl scouts before she was on our women's panel remember oh yes uh -huh. yes i wonder i'm gonna ask i'm gonna call cool. her and ask her 
Who do I speak to in my Congress? Yeah. <laughs> Who do I write a letter to? You know? You're going to bring the get me the manager energy. <laughs> get me the manager. That's right. My name's Karen. I mean, Leanne, I hate that too. I hate that Karen, anybody named Karen, it's not, I have a great friend named Karen who is so not a Karen that I feel so bad. I, I wonder how she feels about Karen being the label for women, white women who are entitled and mouthy <laughs> and get me the manager. How do you think someone named Karen feels about that? I know how some people named Karen. I've seen it on my Facebook wall. I've seen, I have a lot of friends named Karen because <laughs> it's like, Karen is like, there's a reason that it was chosen. Like it could have no been, shit. it could have been Jennifer or, yeah. uh, you know, any of the names that, uh, Lisa that were super popular in the seventies. Um, yeah, that Karens are not happy to be lumped in as Karens. Uh-huh. I think we can say that as a blanket statement. <laughs> <laughs> but I can have the Karens of the world unite and we can go after this 911 issue together. How about that? <laughs> All Karens unite. Great. As that long is, as you're organizing, oh, okay. I'm not a Karen. I'm not involved. I'm not a Karen way. either, but we can do Karen for good. Karens for good. Yeah. Karens for good. Right. <laughs> Maybe we should start a foundation. That's, Karens for good. Yeah. It's a good hashtag. I'm not a Karen. I never ask for the manager. I never go <laughs> you and you. But this really bothered me, not because of me. No, absolutely. But because if my, I have a neighbor who's elderly, I mean, and she's not in great health. And if she falls and hurts herself or if she has a health problem, I can't imagine waiting on hold for seven minutes to get her help, you know? Everyone is one accident away from needing to dial 911. I mean, yes, everyone. We all need it. I mean, my friend who we shop at her store every year was robbed in the middle of the night and it took two hours for a police car to get there. Two hours. And she was on the ring cam saying to the robbers, I have called 911 and you better get out of there. And they just took their time because they knew 911 wasn't coming anytime soon. Oh. So they wiped her store out and she was on the phone going, listen, I have a gun. I'm going to come over there myself. And then, then they started to move fast. But she waited for two hours. She said she couldn't get, she called 911 and they told her to call the local police department who, remember I've established, doesn't answer their phone. So she couldn't get anybody there. And when she finally got someone on the phone, they had no cars available from the surrounding districts. So it took two hours for a police car to show up and everything in her store was gone. And that just shouldn't be the way it is. It shouldn't. Listen, personal property and that kind of property crime is different than a personal or a violent crime. I get that. I totally get that. If someone's being shot and her store's being robbed, you go to where someone's being shot. I understand that. But two hours is a very long time. In the news, nothing else fantastic was going on. Like there was no riot. There was no crazy thing going on. And it just shouldn't be like that. It's a broken system. And why we're so concerned with these other um, catchphrase, popular termed, newsworthy, soundbite things, but we're not concerned with that. I don't know. 
makes me angry. Anyway, how do we wrap up our little podcast? How do we wrap it up? <laughs> I'm so glad to see you. I say this, I said this to Paulina last week. I feel like the only time I get to see my friends is when we podcast, but I don't ever want my friends to feel like I only see them to podcast, but I feel like I would never make time to have lunch. It's the only way I get to do it. Neither would I. Um, my writing teacher says um, writers can't, don't go to lunch. She said, don't you ever make a lunch date because lunch turns into, you know, you're chatting, you're having a great time. And then that eats up your writing time of the day. And uh -huh. then you got to pick up the kids from school. You got to do the whatever. So she said, never, never book a lunch date. Right. Um, dinner is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you need a lunch date. I go to lunch maybe twice a year with somebody. So I think I could pull twice a year, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. It, you know, unless you have some purpose in it, it's hard to let yourself just do it. But maybe that's part of the lesson. You know, when I watch Bert create, when I watch him write, he has the most creativity after he's had downtime because he's, he's, he's observing and absorbing. And then he processes that and goes back to work. He always is so creative when he's just in downtime. Maybe it's because he doesn't have very much downtime, but that creativity that comes out of the downtime is so rich, is so full because it's a real true life experience. Now, writing a memoir, you've already had those experiences, so maybe it doesn't apply as much um, to what you're writing. But Yeah, but it's interesting because even though the, the um, events of the memoir are fixed, they happened maybe 10 years ago, those events aren't changing. The perspective changes completely. It can, it will continue to change after the book is published. Um, I would love to have a conversation with somebody who wrote a memoir 20 years ago and what new insights they've gleaned over the years, because perspective is just, it's just everything. Yeah. Um, and you know, even the other day, somebody, um, a friend was talking about feeling very dissed by a friend who just drops her girlfriends when she has a new relationship huh. and everybody is, everybody can unite in that sort of outrage. Oh, who does that? And then I thought I have done that. Mm. I have done that lots of times. And it made me realize that as an introvert, like I didn't see it as abandoning my friends. It was like, I have a very finite amount of time that I can be with people. Uh -huh. <laughs> I need a ton of alone time, uh -huh. a ton of downtime. And so then to have a new relationship, to have kids, uh -huh. you know, to have babies who really take all of your energy, period. I, I just was not able to be there for um, girlfriends in the way that that I was um, when I didn't have a relationship, when I didn't have children. And it really gave me new perspective. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what the point it was that other than, yes, it's still even writing a memoir. It's like you still need the new insight that, uh -huh. that comes because um, it helps you sort of process old things. Because one of the themes in in my book is about feeling isolated. And a lot of it was just isolated by the circumstances, baby in the hospital, um, 
taking kids to all of these multiple doctor's appointments and not being able to interact with, not being able to form friendships, um, go to the parties that you're invited to the play dates, the parties, all of the things. And, um, the perspective shift was, oh, well, there was a certain amount that was circumstantial. And then there's a certain amount that would always be me right. because I, as an introvert need that time. I, I can't go, go, go like Bert does. Uh-huh. I can't see people every night of the week. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can't either. <laughs> I am probably not as introverted as you, but I'm definitely far more introverted than Bert. And the last time I was on the road with him a couple of weeks ago, I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. I could go home and be by myself for like, oh, I don't know, six days straight. That'd be awesome. Too many people, too many personalities, too much. I wonder if it goes with being a little bit of a caretaker because I am concerned now and watching everybody for what Mm -hmm. needs to be happening and balancing things. Even if I'm not physically balancing them, I am in my brain. I wonder if it, I wonder if that's because Bert definitely doesn't do that. He doesn't look around and go, how can I take care of these people? He goes, yeah. how can you take care of me? <laughs> That's really interesting. I wonder what the percentage of like introvert versus extrovert on that spectrum, if there are any real caretaker supreme extroverts. I wonder. Um, that's a really good point, Leanne. I don't see how. It's very interesting. I don't see how they could go together effectively because I have multiple friends and family members who are extroverts and they definitely are not aware and don't have the wherewithal to care the way that an introvert does you know Hmm. they they can care for you but it's not comprehensive it's it's kind of um it's very limited it's not a ride or die so much they're ride or die lay in other places where I'm, I'm not. I'm not a all-day, everyday party girl. At some point, I'm going to need to go take a nap and read a book. But that is an interesting question. I wonder what the correlation between extrovert and caretaker is. Interesting. Well, Kirsten, <laughs> my conversations with you are always so enjoyable. I'm glad I got to talk to you today. I know we were going to book club today, and Kathy's daughter is sick, so we wanted to make sure nobody else got sick. I feel her absence. I I'm know. Just, I don't think I've ever been here uh, without her chatting with you without Kathy. So I'm like I'm waiting for her to weigh in no. and be a contrarian, <laughs> our, our loving contrarian. I know. But hey, <laughs> next time. Yeah, it was fun, though. It was fun. Thank you so much. And I'm glad you're OK. I was worried about you a lot. You know, I'm glad you're OK and you're going to be OK. That's Thanks. good. That's it's scary when someone gets sick that you care for. It's really scary, you know? So I'm glad you're okay. And we're too young to be having issues. You we know? are too young for this bullshit. We're too young for this fucking bullshit. <laughs> I completely agree. So it was, personally, I was been very worried and scared about what, what's going on for you. So um, it's glad to see you looking so good and all that. Thank you. I love you, Kirsten. I love you. <laughs> <laughs>